political realities. From There Is Nothing to Fear by Santissime, read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. An examination of political realities might well lead one to say, and with justification, that there is no good or evil, but only power, and those too weak to seek it. Or, to paraphrase another writer, that political power grows out of the end of a wand. It is impossible for an oppressed people to secure their liberty by presenting moral arguments to their oppressors. Indeed, one will find that their oppressors will have devised all sorts of moral arguments to justify their subjugation. Tyrants have only ever been dethroned through a process of intense and often violent struggle. Tom Riddle, Magic is Might, published by Little Red Books. In regards British partition, clearance bronze turquoise eyes only. File new British government. Efforts to penetrate British partition continue to meet with middling success or failure. British partition composed of patrols and intricate series of wars, including anti-apparition, anti-port key, etc. Security spells, including modified caterwauling charm, intruder charm, etc., and tripwire curses. Goblin assistance probable. Curse and ward-breaking attempts met with fierce resistance, casualties frequent, fatalities occasional. Foreign infiltration unsuccessful. Contact with domestic agents rarely maintainable. Most recently, loss of contact with MF smuggler. No signal for three months. Long past original contact period and backup contact period likely imprisoned in Azkaban. Conclusion. British partition probably unbreachable under current conditions. Recommendation. Abandon active surveillance. Transition to passive information gathering via other sources, principally muggle news. X. Lestrange, 11 February, 1984. In regards British situation, clearance bronze turquoise honey opal, mystic topaz eyes only, file orders, new British government. All efforts of the Black Room in regards British situation to be conducted overseen by new task group, henceforth categorized and classified under mystic topaz clearance, effective immediately. A. Cinemond, 26 February 1984. Every government of this country since 1945 has seen the need for Britain to have an independent nuclear deterrent. It is a key part of our contribution to collective defence through the Atlantic Alliance. It also provides Britain's defence of last resort. The Soviet Union might in certain circumstances doubt the commitment of the United States to the defence of Western Europe and miscalculate the consequences of aggressive action against the United Kingdom and other democracies in Western Europe. Our deterrent would guarantee our security in that situation. The Soviet Union has to recognize that we can inflict unacceptable damage on them, were they to attack or threaten us. The key word is unacceptable, and with every day that passes, the shadows of that word grow ever longer. What is unacceptable, and for whom? Just one nuclear weapon could kill half a million people, snuffing them out at a single fiery moment, and this government has more than 400 of them in our possession. That is 200 million dead, a fifth of a billion corpses, and countless more in the face of destroyed infrastructure, lingering radioactive poisoning, and other effects. And nearly every fatality will be a civilian, 
fatality. We have retained these weapons because the consequence of their use would be considered unacceptable to the Russians, but it should be clear that the very prospect of their use ought to be unacceptable to us as well. If the United Kingdom were, God forbid, to fall in the face of Soviet aggression, then that would be a dark day for Britain. But we would, as my predecessor famously declared, still fight in the fields and in the streets, and when and if this too were ever come, then that part of the Commonwealth which lies beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle. The British people will not be exterminated, and they will not be ground into the dust. The worst, most terrible fate that the Soviet Union could place upon us is a temporary subjugation. Will we buy ourselves out of that dismal scenario at the cost of 200 or 300 million dead, in what will almost certainly be just the opening notes to a nuclear Armageddon? If we did, then our freedom would have been purchased not just with the dead, but with our own souls. Even so, it is tempting to imagine that there is some logic to the idea. Wars are caused when an aggressor believes it can achieve his objectives at an acceptable price. Possession of our independent nuclear deterrent makes plain to potential aggressors that the price they would pay would be intolerable. Perhaps we would be willing to sell our souls if we only thought we had none to start with. If we are willing to count the bodies in wartime, however, then we must also count the bodies in peacetime. The calculating man may say, these weapons will kill millions of people if they are used, so they will never be used, and no one will do anything to provoke their use, so we will be safe forever. And the heartless man may say, these weapons will kill millions of people if they are used, but if in the ashes there were two British men left, and just one Russian man, then by God, we will have won after all. But both of them are also optimistic men, and foolish in their optimism. And they are optimists and fools, because they imagine that these events will happen because someone decides to make them happen. Whether the two major nuclear powers of the world go to war is entirely out of our control. It may even be outside of theirs. The nuclear strategies of both countries require that they eliminate the other's capability to launch its own weapons. So if the Russians ever launch an attack on the United States, they will certainly launch an attack on the United Kingdom as well. Because there are missiles here, which might in turn target their cities. Any strike which is quick enough to prevent a counter-attack will also be too quick to permit negotiation, so we will not, in that moment, have any hope of dissuading them. In order to make this possible, we have created great organizational machines, which can operate at a moment's notice, but in their necessary complexity they are also fragile, and the fragility of these figurative machines only intensifies the danger of the very real nuclear machines that are aimed at the British people at this very moment. It is foolish to count the costs and say that saving so many British lives will be worth killing so many others, because in making that calculation we assume that lives will be saved at all. Nuclear weapons become so terrifying that we seem compelled to keep them at the ready solely to counter their potential use by our enemies. But by keeping them we have apparently exchanged the possibility of conventional warfare for the certainty of nuclear annihilation. I would bring to your attention the series of close calls that have recently brought us to the brink of accidental genocide. Why, it was only last year that a widespread power outage in the United States called their detectors to malfunction and conclude that the country had just suffered a debilitating nuclear attack. Contrary to what my predecessor Winston Churchill said over thirty years ago, 
Nuclear weapons have not kept the peace. They have only kept us in a state of unremitting fear. Far from inviting danger, then, complete and unilateral nuclear disarmament may be the only thing that spares Britain from greater danger. If the other nuclear powers of the world do not join us, then a full and devastating exchange would seem inevitable, due to human error, if for no other reason. If we have disarmed before then, however, then at least we will not be targeted. I would to God that we not have to walk this road alone. But I can do no more than ensure the safety of the British people. Margaret Thatcher, Open Letter on Nuclear Disarmament, 10 April 1986 issue of the Finchley Times. Have you seen this? F. Margot Rama, what of it? B. The woman threatened to use the bomb on the Argentinians four years ago, don't you remember? And now she's backing off? F. You're the muggle-headed Salvatore. Make it plain for me. B. Black Room Transcript, dated 11 April 1986. Declassified 13 July 1993. In regards Britain, nuclear disarmament, clearance Mr. Topaz, eyes only, file new British government, Muggle Britain, nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons remain most dire threat from Muggles to Muggles and Wizards. Muggle British government currently in possession of approximately 450 nuclear weapons, down from approximately 500 at start of decade. British Minister of Muggles, M. Thatcher, notably hawkish or belligerent in regards nuclear weapons. Compare 1979, 1982, 1983 incidents and attached documents till recent reversal. Party supporters in Muggle Parliament, likewise hawkish, recent reports suggest upcoming votes to disarm will pass unanimously, notwithstanding these facts. Conclusion. Muggle British government, fully subordinate to Wizarding Britain, likely through liberal use of imperious curse, cannot be considered independent power. Independence of regional, local levels of government unclear. Recommendation. Assume all higher government functions have been subverted by Wizarding Britain. Immediately abandon present operation to piggyback muggle French intelligence. Infiltrate Thatcher's office. In accordance with established wait-and-see procedure, refrain from alerting ICW. Public. Refrain from taking hostile measures. Threat posed by Wizarding Britain remains minimal. Asphalt Canelli, 12 April 1986. British muggles to dismantle killer bombs under wizarding influence. Laloon, 18 May 1986. 41 years ago, almost to the day, the late and great Albus Dumbledore defeated the dark wizard Grindelwald. If the muggles knew what he had done for them, there would be statues in every plaza. But of course they do not know, they cannot know, because they were saved in the first place. Since that time, we have striven with all our might to maintain the peace and to terminate any subsequent risk to the statute of secrecy or to the muggles' own safety. Now, however, we find ourselves at an impasse of the most terrible kind. On the one hand, we keep to our ideals in the most exacting fashion, as we have always done, and curse the consequences. On the other, however, there is another path, no less dark than the first, and we tremble even to consider it, much less speak its name. As Lahore revealed to the world, it is the opinion of the intelligences in France's black room that Wizarding Britain has forced the Muggle government of the United Kingdom to disarm, no doubt by means of the Imperious Curse, which, 
or literally and legally termed unforgivable by this very body, may nevertheless be permitted under extenuating circumstances. Now it falls on us, though we flinch to hear the call, to determine whether we will follow in Britain's footsteps. The Muggles must be afforded the right to self-determination, of course, but even they despair at the thought of these terrible weapons, and their leaders claim to hold fast only because they cannot be assured of cooperation from the other side. I say to you, if the Muggles have any rights at all, then surely they have the right not to be slaughtered in nuclear hellfire. Gruner Trinkshu, Dalba Country of the WRR. 20 May 1986, addressed to the ICW. When I find out which one of you shitty tears leaked this to the press, I will force feed you till your liver bursts and serve it on gold to St. Cyprian. And when he asks for more, I'm going to heal you so I can do it all over again. S. Tiancha tables Chinese denuclearization under risk of ICW censure. Alun, 22 October 1986. In regards to British disappearances, muggles, children, clearance, mystic topaz, eyes only, file New British Government, Muggle Britain, 1970 through 1982, long-term disappearances of muggle children, i.e. greater than one year, from British Isles averaging approximately 300 cases per annum, allowing for population density disappearances roughly equal across constituent countries, approximately 25 long-term disappearances of Scottish muggle children per annum. By 1984, long-term disappearances rise sharply, stabilizing at approximately 600 cases per annum overall by 1986. Long-term disappearances in Scotland triple previous rates. Approximately 25 to approximately 75 per annum. Abduction of muggle-borns can account for at most 7% of increase. Muggle governments doing nothing. Reports being quashed. Internal investigations go nowhere, stop suddenly and regularly after getting attention of constabulary administration. Conclusion, Wizarding Britain probably responsible for disappearances, probably directly interfering with investigations at regional to national level. Nature of interference points to combination of confundus, imperious, and or obliviation. Purpose of non-muggle-born disappearances unclear. Recommendation, maintain observations, elsewise do nothing. S. Fulcanelli, 26 August 1990. British Wizarding Government reaches out to West Europe. World. La Lune, 17 February 1993. Though I recognize that our long sequestration was cause for concern, it was necessary that we have a period of self-purification and, dare I say, privacy. Had it been otherwise, our every mistake would have been seized upon, but now Britain can present itself as a model society, where every failing and prejudice of the old world has passed away. In a certain way, this has been to our disadvantage, because our detractors have had ten years to spin lies in our absence, and to turn all that is gold about us into leaden dross. But we know that the greater part of the wizarding world is made of better stuff than to be so easily deceived, and we are confident that, as we say in Britain, truth will out. Though our actions have apparently given rise to some consternation even in our absence, the ICW need not fear on our account. Britain is, first and foremost, committed to the preservation of the statute of secrecy, and we have done nothing with respect to that sacred law, except strengthen our adherence to it. 
and that we would be delighted to see others follow after our way in every principle and precept. We are content to lead by example. Tom Riddle, To the Wizarding World, 19 February 1993, issue of the Daily Prophet. Minister Plamondon to meet with British Minister. La Lune, 28 February 1993. Analysis of Tom Marvolo Riddle revised. Clarence Honey Opal, Mystic Topaz, Eyes Only. File New British Government, Tom Riddle. Humoric Profile, Major Sanguine, Minor Choleric. Elemental Profile, Air, Unstable, Rising. Color Profile, Yellow, Bright, Slash, Yellow, Dark. Astrological Profile, Capricorn in the Era of Cancer. Compare Memorandum 35-E, 1993, for complete chart. Ruling Planet, Jupiter, Wandwood, U. Wand Core, Phoenix Feather. Form, Patronus, Sparrowhawk. Form, Animagus, None. Orphan, claims to be Half-Blood, but most likely Child of Squib Branch. Compare M32-C, 1976, for supporting evidence. Alternate Pretender Air Theory argues Riddle is fully muggle-born. Compare M32-D, 1976, for supporting evidence. Excellent academic performance at Hogwarts. Served apprenticeship with part goblin and master duelist F. Flitwick. Professed sympathies for muggle-borns and non-humans probably rooted in these experiences. Postgraduate activities not fully understood. Contact building possible but unlikely given low foreign dependence during insurgency and later isolation. Following return to Britain, formed Death Eaters became representative for Wales. Three unsuccessful campaigns for highest office. Currently Hogwarts Headmaster. Teaches upper-level courses, especially dark arts, mind arts. Given current British penchant for indirect control, probably real ruler of Britain. Question, why focus attention on Hogwarts? Profiles and previous activities suggest capacity for patience, long-term strategy. International coalition building unlikely in active sense, but may support friendly relationships. Eventual belligerence possible, but not certain. Question, why end isolation now and not at some other time? Was purpose for isolation achieved, or are unknown pressures responsible? Recommendation, maintain observations. Censor and forward this report to HMCM and appropriate diplomatic entities. Officially, the Black Room neither endorses nor disendorses any particular diplomatic action. Unofficially, internally, our intelligencers require intelligence which requires access, which requires concord, discourage belligerence, determine candidates for eventual long-term work, make all necessary preparations for placement, including feigned disaffection with said candidates and procurement of false serum. S. Falconelli, 9 March, 1993. Beaubaton, Dermestrang, Hogwarts. Begin openness talks. La Lune, 12 March, 1993. For the full text of this and other stories by the same author, visit the archive of our own page of Call Me Saltisside. The music is Amon Ra by Days Witch, under a Creative Commons license, with assistance from 1T1. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at sangabrielvo.com. 
and there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.